to our church. Good morning. Wow, I think everybody's at Best Side Assembly. Someone say praise the Lord. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you're here. Just tell them, come on, tell them, you look marvelous. Let's go before Father. It's so good, so good to have uh, two of my sons with me today. And I got my daughter-in-law over there and got some friends and family. Are we ready to have a good time? Come on, give some praise to the house. Come on. Amen. We're going to raise the praise. He's worthy of it all. Father, we are so thankful for this day. We are so thankful for who you are and all that you desire to do in us and through us. Well, Lord, will you help us? And God, we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite um, Lydia up at this time. Uh, Lydia met her through um, David and Carrie. Uh, she's been working with Kai Alpha for how long now? Two years. And Lydia is really, really sweet because whenever I'm at a conference, she always wants to find me. And that's just, that's just kind, you know. Um, and so God has a call on her life for Kai Alpha. And she's going to uh, tell a little bit about what God has done and is about to do. And she's excited about all that. So, Lydia, let us know. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, it's great to be here. Um, so, like Pastor Corcoran said, my name is Lydia D'Ambra. I am currently a missionary with Chi Alpha uh, Christian Fellowship over <laughs> on Rowan's campus in Glassboro. I had just finished my training year in May, and I am now full-time staff with them. So, uh, just here to give you a brief um, summary of how I got here, what is my job as a missionary, what does that look like? Um, so, uh, to give you a picture, um, rewind to before I came to college, and before I even thought becoming a missionary was an option. Um, <laughs> I had grown up in a Christian home, grew up in the church, grew up just like being in the church because my family's main uh, point of interest was once we're in a church, we get to know the staff, get to know the people, we want to serve and we want to use our hands and just be the hands and feet of Jesus in that building, serve those people somehow. So that was how I was raised, which is in a family that wanted to serve. Um, and my personal earliest involvement was when I was 13. We went to this small church, and they asked me to lead the Sunday school for toddlers. So I got in real quick, and they said, oh, you like kids. Come teach the kids about the Bible. I was like, okay, sure. So I started teaching these toddlers, and I fell in love with teaching, and I fell in love with teaching kids. And it was the coolest thing of teaching them the Bible in a way that, you know, a four-year-old can comprehend it, and you see the gear start to click in their head, like, oh, wow, Jesus is really cool. It's like, yes. So it was super cool to watch them develop, and as these toddlers grew into five, six, seven-year-olds, I just moved right along with them and just kept teaching them. Um, and then eventually my family, we left this church, and we ended up church hopping for about five or six years, never really being able to find a church that we could call home or those people our family. So fast forward to when I was about to be in college, um, pretty much my walk with Jesus, I was a lukewarm Christian at best, um, only opening my Bible or talking to the Lord when I wanted something or I was upset at the Lord for not giving me what I wanted. Um, God was essentially my vending machine and I would feed him a couple dollars every once in a while when I was truly starving. 
as I was getting ready to start attending Rowan, the community and the friend group that I had built through high school dwindled as we all went to different schools. Pretty much everyone left South Jersey, and I was the only one that stayed to go to Rowan. And naturally, as you grow up, you're becoming a freshman in college, you become different people, and you just grow apart. So one of my aunts, uh, Aunt Patty, she's amazing, <laughs> she encouraged me to go to Chi Alpha in order to make better friends, which were her literal words, which were very brutal and harsh, but she wasn't wrong. Uh, for context, the friends that I had in high school, we were all Christians by label because that's just what we fell under because we went to church on Sundays and we served. When we would hang out, um, they would come over to my house for dinner, and the only time the Lord was mentioned was when we would bless the food and we would move on. We wouldn't talk about what the Lord is doing. We wouldn't talk about the Bible. We wouldn't talk about what we're learning. None of that was ever mentioned because it wasn't interesting to us. We didn't have a desire to be with Jesus. We just did it because our parents forced us to. So the things of the Lord, to me as an 18-year-old, were unappealing. <laughs> things like prayer and worship nights sounded like the most boring thing that I could ever go to, and I had no interest whatsoever. So my first semester of college at Rowan, I showed up to Chi Alpha at their first large group meeting of the year, mainly with the intentions to satisfy my aunt's request to go. So I could hopefully just be like, okay, I went. Can we leave it alone? Drop it. We're done. Um, and I went going with a very critical eye, feeding everything through criticism to try to find some small thing that rubbed me the wrong way so I don't have to go back. I found nothing. <laughs> what I did find were people my age that sincerely loved the Lord and they were doing it willingly. They weren't being bribed by their mom or their dad or their sister. There was no moms that dropped them off and would pick them up in a couple of hours so they had to be there. They were doing it because they wanted to. They worshiped because they enjoyed it. They went to prayer meetings because they enjoyed it. They listened to the Bible being taught because they wanted to know more about who God is, more about the character of Jesus, and how can they be more like him. This was the first time in my life that I had seen a group of people my age following Christ with passion and with zeal and with sincerity. They exuded the words of Luke 8:16, where Jesus says, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. We, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, people who have heard the gospel and accepted for ourselves, we are now ministers of that gospel. This lamp is the word, the capital W word, that we have been given, and we are now to continue its spread throughout the world and share it with others. So these students in Chi Alpha, when I got there, they were ministered to, so then it was their turn to go and to minister, and they ministered to me. Without these students that put their lamps on stands during my freshman year, I would have never returned to Chi Alpha, and I would not have gotten involved as soon and as fast as I could and go to literally every event that I was able to do. Um, I wouldn't have gotten into a small group and found a tight group of girls that actually cared about me and sincerely cared about my walk with Jesus. And in that small group, I met my best friend now, Brooke, and we now live together. And our friendship has grown into slowly turning into a 21st century version of David and Jonathan and their relationship. Because I stuck out in Chi Alpha, I was able to meet Brooke, who's now my best friend, and she's amazing. 
I wouldn't have then become a small group leader myself and stepping into leadership and being willing to grow and, and be stretched um, and grow closer to the Lord and have a burden to reach his people, to love these students, to love this campus. By becoming a leader, I would have never <laughs> sought out Dave to be discipled, and I was taking my faith seriously. I was like, okay, I want to do this well. I want to do this better, but I don't know how. How does one be a disciple? I don't know. <laughs> so I reached out to Dave right before COVID happened, and then COVID happened. I was like, okay, how do you disciple in COVID? Okay, let's figure this out. <laughs> and then you keep, continue to fast forward, and then I would have never even considered becoming a missionary once I graduated college. All because... All of these people put their lamps on stands for me to see. So you fast forward to right now. As a campus missionary, what do I do? What is my job? My job as a campus missionary is a beautiful, wonderful ebb and flow of community building and discipleship for the students on Rowan's campus, as well as the administrative part that comes along with making sure those things happen. So our main purpose of being on this college campus is to take the part of the Great Commission that says, make disciples of all nations. It is that making disciples that we're here to do at Rowan University. We are here to put our lights on stands while we lead small groups, while we host large group meetings on Thursday nights, while we engage in one-on-one -on -one discipleship with students, while we walk around campus and give out hot chocolate when it's cold, um, or while we build friendship in our houses in Glassboro. So for small groups this year, I'll be leading with um, Kylie, and she's in, funny. I don't have a picture with me and her, but she's in the photos, so she does exist. Um, but <laughs> I'll be leading with Kylie this year, and she's coming as a freshman. Um, she'll be a sophomore now as a student leader, and she's my small group last year. And since January, I've had the pleasure of discipling her, and she grew up in Catholicism, never really knowing Jesus, reading the Bible for herself, because she didn't really want to, nor did she really have the need to, so she didn't. We met her last September at a student fair organization at Rowan. She just like happened to walk by, happened to spin our wheel and like won some candy. And then she was just a name on a spreadsheet of people that we wanted to check back into because we met that day. Um, so out of 500 students that we met on this random Tuesday afternoon, Kylie was one of them. And she got connected into Chi Alpha. She started coming to my small group and starting to make friends. And then she came to Thursday Night Large Group, making more friends. And when she started coming as a freshman, like me as a freshman, she didn't stop coming. And she continued to maintain and she showed up. She showed us how faithful, available, and teachable she is from the moment that we met her. And when me and my co-leaders that year, we met up. Um, about two weeks after the semester started, we were talking about all the girls that we had met that were in our small group. We're like, okay, who do we want individually to pursue and disciple and just like be intentional with making their friend? And all of us wanted to pursue Kylie because she just had, she just had, she had the stuff. She probably didn't know what that stuff was, but she had it and she was hungry and she was willing to be faithful to learn about the Bible, learn about who Jesus was and have a wonderful community all at the same time. So now, in my small group, I put my lamp on a stand for her to see. And now Kylie will get to do the same this coming year, which is amazing. So one of our goals while leading this small group together is we want to have a group that um, reflects the early church of Acts. They worshiped, they broke bread, and they taught the word. That is what the church did. That is what community does. That is those that follow Jesus. That is what they do. So we're 
planning to apply this is Kylie and I get together and we get to disable our girls. And small groups in Chi Alpha and just in general is a way to effectively and strategically place our lamps on stands, to sacrificially love and serve those around us, these girls that we're gonna be intentionally just pouring our lives into. And through leading a small group, what's so cool is you get, you're partnering with the Lord through all of this. In ministry and in life, you're partnering with the Lord. The Lord gives you, through the Holy Spirit, these gifts that says, this is how you're going to reach my people. And for me, I've learned a lot recently and just seen it more of the Lord has given me such a gift of hospitality. And I'm able to use that. And I live in a house off of Glassboro with four other girls. And through this home, we get to use it for ministry. I get to use my gift of hospitality by bringing people in, drawing girls in, and being like, hey, come over for dinner. Let's hang out. We get to do that with small groups. We get to do it when we host Chi Alpha cookouts in our backyard, and we have a ton of food, and people come over, and we build community. We reflect the church by being together. We reflect the Lord and how the Lord is three people in one. We reflect that when we all gather. So through the Lord and this home, we get to glorify the Lord. We get to reflect who Christ is. And then on the other side of my job is the administrative part that comes with all of this. Um, our campus director, Carl, has given me the green light to go ahead, and I will be taking charge of everything that needs to happen for our Thursday night large groups. I will be the point of contact to make sure all that gets done is if we need student leaders to serve, who's on worship, what are we doing afterwards, and what do we need to get those stuff? I will now be in charge of all the administrative things <laughs> that go into planning events, to planning Thursday nights, to make sure it goes well. So with this job as a campus ministry, campus missionary, <laughs> I get to do what I love every single day. It is my job to hang out with people and to build community, to love people. That's, that is my literal job. That is what I do all day long, Monday through Friday, and on the weekends when people are around. I hang out with people. I love them. So you might be thinking for yourself, okay, I'm not a missionary. That's really cool. However, how do I love the Lord? How do I love, the, love his people in my nine to five? How do I love the Lord through loving my grandchildren? How do I do this when I go to the grocery store to get eggs? How do I do this on just a practical level? They point you back to Luke 8:16, which says, "No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light." This is discipleship. This is core value of being a believer and walking with and through Christ. We have received and accepted the good news for ourselves because there's someone in our life that either shared with it with it, shared it with us directly, verbally, or they modeled it to us. They showed us who Jesus was by their actions. And we caught on to that and we're like, oh, they're different. They have something. What is that? That is Jesus. So now we too, because we have seen that, we've accepted it for ourselves. Now we walk in being holy, righteous, and blameless, and spotless in the eyes of the Father. Now we are to go and to do likewise. We are to share it. That is now our job as the collective church. And Jesus advises against hiding or concealing this word and keeping it for ourselves. Because then this is exactly how the gospel would cease to exist. If every believer did not share what we all now have, people's lives would no, no longer be changed by the love of Jesus. There would be no reason for missions at all, so I wouldn't be here. And half of us in this room might not be here either if someone didn't share the gospel with us or model Jesus to us. 
Once we have this lamp, we're instead to put it on a stand so that those who talk to us and know us have the opportunity to see it for themselves. So you go back to this house that I live in with other Chi Alpha girls. I have my light, my lamp, my love for Jesus. In my house, I'm going to put this on a table, on a stand, so that those who come into my house can see it for themselves. So that when you walk into my house, you will know that I am a follower of Christ. You will know this by the way I interact with you, by the way I love you, by the way I do it um, sincerely and sacrificially, by the way I talk to you, all of that stuff. So you can translate that into this house is your heart. When you get to know someone, you're really getting to know their heart. You get to know what they value, what they care about, what gets them fired up on a Tuesday. You see what they truly, who, who is them? Who are they as a person? So when someone looks at your heart, Jesus is saying, and it has been touched by the gospel, it has been transformed by the love of Christ, that flame should be relatively noticeable by the people that you interact with. If you're in a dark room with no light source at all, and you light a match, that one flame, that one light source, is going to be very noticeable in comparison to the darkness that is around it. So if we truly love people, if we truly love the Lord's sons and daughters, then we should desire and want for them to also see the light of Jesus, to also be able to walk in freedom, to also be able to walk in joy and love and peace and all of the fruits that come with the Holy Spirit. Finally, um, because of the light of Jesus, because of the lamps of others, because of your lamp that you have, we have the opportunity and the honor to work and partner with what the Lord is already doing by going, sharing, doing likewise. And then when us as the church are the boots on the ground and some of us become missionaries to be um, by career boots on the ground, <laughs> it is impossible for us to do what we do um, without having people that are constantly praying for us, that are financially supporting us, um, and doing those types of things. So, of course, I'll be around after service, and I'd be more than happy to share more about what I do, more about how you can be praying for us, more about how you can be also sewing into what Rowan is doing um, and what we're doing through Chi Alpha. So, thank you, Pastor Corcom, and here we go. Before we do anything, she has such a joy, doesn't she? And uh, that's one thing. Even, yeah, you always communicate a joy, and you love people, and it's seen so clearly in your life. Put a hand out. Let's pray for her. Uh, Father, we just ask right now that you would just go before your servant. Lord, we thank you that you're already working. So as she walks in your peace of your power, may your presence continue to go before everything she does, and may she reach the people that you have already planned to put her in, her in the path. I pray, Lord, that she raises up the funds of all that she needs. She has no worries because you are already there. We ask your blessing, your peace, and a multiplication to your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. It's good to see you. Amen. They have a gr good group. I'm not biased or nothing, but they have a great group. Uh, Kyle has a great group there at Rowan for sure. So I always pray for the university, especially the local university. It's so important. Well, it's a great joy. I called up pastor. This week has been really crazy for me, more than I can tell. And uh, there are so many things going on. It's not even funny. And I just said, I need to focus. And so pastor is so kind. He says, I know how it is with you young guys. <laughs> 
Come on up, Pastor. Give him a big hand. And it wasn't too long ago that uh, I got a chance to um, go fishing with uh, Pastor. And um, we didn't do too good that day. Caught two sunfish. <laughs> it, it wasn't a very good day. But we went, we went like the sun was so hot. It must have been like 90 degrees. It's tough for young guys out in the heat. They can't handle <laughs> it. Give them the word. God bless you. How many of you know the phrase, I had to kickstart my car? Okay, one or two. Okay, I'm, I'm just looking at ages here. Some of the others are saying, what's that mean? And I don't really care. Okay, I'll tell you what it means in case you wanted to know. You can't do it in Jersey because there's no hills, okay? But when we were kids in Pennsylvania, if your car didn't start on a cold day, by the way, we didn't have multiviscosity oil like 1030, 1040, you know, all that stuff. It was one weight. So in the wintertime, when it's cold, like 10 degrees, and the oil gets real cold in your car, it goes, eh, 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 eh. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That happens here, too, if you have a bad battery. Well, we lived on a hill. We had stick shift. Anybody know what I'm talking about, stick shift? Clutch. Three on the, three on the tree or on the floor. You could drift your car down the road and pop that clutch, and, pop, 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 and you're on your way. How many of you ever did that? Am I the only one? Okay. It worked. I mean, you could have a dead battery almost. You could kickstart. Back then, we didn't have computers, so once your car started, it didn't matter what the battery did. Today, if your battery's bad, you're going to be driving along. All of a sudden, your car just stops. You're off the side of the road. All these lights come on, whatever. You got nothing. So I say all that to say this. Some of you needed to be kickstarted this morning. <laughs> Some of you needed more than one cup of coffee. I discovered that for myself this morning. My wife said, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. I said, it's just one of those you know, mornings I need to be kick-started. And sometimes you need someone to kick you to get you started. Um, but, you know, the old kick-start worked until someone came along and said, oh, my honey showed up. Hey, babe. She was nursery duty at first AG in Carney's Point. But their service ends at 11, so she's joining us today. Good to see you, hon. Now, I can't talk about her because she's here. Um, I wouldn't anyhow. It's on video. But um, so sometimes we need, we need the extra kickstart. We need two cups of coffee. Some of you need espresso. Um, I drink the little energy V8 drinks with ice. Uh, they have two types of tea in them. Anyway, um, aren't you glad that God helps us get going? He really does help us get going. And Lydia, awesome. Keep shining. Jesus. I'm serious. And I'm so glad that you, you came into a group with David Carey, with Carl, and all those other folks that are here um, in Chi Alpha, and you found people that were genuine, yeah. really living for Jesus. And I, I want to say it to you, because I had a verse in Scripture I was going to read, but maybe I won't read it, but Jesus, Jesus said in that day, many are going to come, and they're going to say, in your name, we did all these great things, cast out demons, healed people, and all that kind of stuff. And and Lord's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. I don't know if you ever read that verse that you were puzzled. Like, how could that be? It's possible to put on a front, isn't it? And to look good on a Sunday. Like like you said, Lydia. On Sunday, yeah, we were Christians on Sunday because that's the thing to do. You go through all the stuff you're supposed to do. But not living it out. And I want to say this morning, if you're not living it out, you've got nothing going for you. You're empty inside. And Jesus said words to the Pharisees and... um. We, we have a culture today that 
don't say anything that's going to offend anybody. And what that means is that you agree with everything that everybody says. That's the only way you never offend anybody. And if you want to follow that pattern, you're going to go directly against what Jesus did. And I'm reading this passage in the Word the other day, and I'm like, man, he just laid it on these guys. He just told them everything they were. And one of the things he said to them, which probably wouldn't bring you a lot of friends around, he says, you, you guys look good on the outside. You're like a, a tomb, you're, you know, on the outside. You ever go by the cemetery up here, Lawnside? Do you ever notice some of the stones that are there? According to how much money the family has, there's some really fancy tombstones up there. Some of them sparkle and shine and gold, silver, all kind of stuff. It doesn't matter what that looks like inside it, dead man's bones or dead woman's bones. And Jesus said that about the Pharisees. On the outside, you look good, man. You have your robes on. You have your phylacteries, all the scripture. You say your prayers in public. You do all this kind of nonsense. But you're dead inside because you don't have a relationship with God. And I want to encourage you, if that's you this morning, get plugged into Jesus. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. And I think you already heard the sermon this morning. I don't even have to preach, Pastor Brian. Lydia, Lydia preached it. She's serious about God because she met other people that were serious about God. Some of you are right here with her this morning. If she didn't meet those people that were serious about God, like you said, I would have went once and been done and said to my aunt, yep, I want to cry off. Don't bug me anymore. Leave me alone, right? But she found people that were really serious about God, not just on a Sunday when we can say amen, hallelujah, and sing our songs, but all day long wherever they were, living it out. And that pulled her in. So I want to say to you, if you're not where you need to be with God, today is your day to say yes to Jesus. You will never regret serving Jesus. I look back over my life, I have some regrets because of wrong choices I made, but I don't ever have regrets about holding on to Jesus. And I can tell you now, I don't care what your age group, I'm older than most of you, younger than a few of you, okay? The Lord has never failed us. He's been with us on this journey. He has helped us. He has blessed us when we didn't deserve blessings. He has been there, shown mercy and understanding. And just in so many ways, he has made his plan so real and has kept his promises. Years ago, uh, the Promise Keepers was a men's ministry that rate was raised up, which was really awesome. I need to tell you, before Promise Keepers ever came along, we had the greatest promise giver and promise keeper, God himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he has made and keeps every one of his promises. That's who I've depended on. I don't know who you're dependent on. You can take that to the bank. Years ago, one of the commercials on TV was when E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens. Remember that commercial, some of you people? And then they found out years later E.F. Hutton was doing some wrong things. Now, when it comes to money, oh, there's a lot of people who do wrong things. They look good for a while, and then people start to investigate and stuff starts happening. I need to tell you, when the Lord speaks, that's when we need to listen. And he speaks to us through his word from Genesis to Revelation. He makes it clear to us through messages like this. Now you can go on your phone, your computer. You can bring up every sermon from every minister across the nation. You can have Bible studies. You can take a verse out of Scripture and say, what does that mean? Go on your phone. Just type in the verse and say, give me a commentary for this verse. I just did it the other day. You can get all these commentaries that will help you understand. We have no excuse not to understand and know God's word. Now, that's so important for us because my thoughts this morning are entitled, Buyer Beware. If you read the bulletin, how many read the bulletin? 
I, two hands, I'm sorry. Okay. So I just, I just remind you, that was, that was in the bulletin, because Loretta said, what's your title, Pastor Keith? So I gave her a title. And uh, it's fire beware. And um, how many have ever heard that phrase before? Fire beware. Anybody? Okay. So when we go, when we go to the very beginning in Genesis, um, we see this being written, and we, we all know we've read from Genesis many times. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden and, and he put him near to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. That's Genesis 2, uh, 15 and 16 and 17. Well, fast forward to Genesis chapter 3. Now, what we do not know, because Scripture does not tell us, we don't know how long Adam and Eve lived in a perfect condition. That's not recorded for us. Could have been years, could have been months, could have been 40 years, okay? Um, but we know that Satan showed up. Satan shows up because he hates God and he's seeking revenge against God. How can he get the biggest bang for his buck? Destroy the first two people that God made in his image who are perfect in every way. So he shows up, chapter 3, the serpent, Satan, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did you ever hear Satan speak to you this way? Did God really say that? Are you serious? Would he keep you from having fun in your life? Doesn't God want you to be fulfilled and have fun and pleasure and have everything you want? Isn't that God's plan? Would he, would he say no to you? If you never heard God speak, if you never heard the devil speak to you like that, you're not alive. But if you're alive, You've heard him come to you and speak, just like he did to Eve. Did God really say that? You can't eat from any tree in the garden. You must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. I put in my notes here, the greatest lying, deceiving salesman, Satan. Buyer, beware. Oh, they didn't have that phrase back then, but you all understand what I'm saying. Woman saw that the fruit was good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. If you go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 16... Talks about the lust of the flesh, good for food. The lust of the eyes, hey, that, that, that fruit really looks good. And the pride of life, wow, I'm going to gain such wisdom from this. Now, now, here's the mystery for all of us. If you've read the Bible through and through and served God any length of time, you're doing the Lord. The mystery is how can someone who has perfection think there's something better? They weren't, they weren't fussing with God like you said Lydia about, I'll just put my money in the vending machine because I need something from God. They weren't saying, oh, God, will you take the mosquitoes away today? Have you ever said that in South Jersey? <laughs> if you live in South Jersey and you've ever sat outside, you've had some mosquitoes biting you. That's all I'm saying. If they don't like you, don't send them up to me. They like me. They like my blood must be so good. I do love the commercial, and I give credit to the guys who make commercials on TV. The Super Bowl commercial many, 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 many years ago. 
this guy's eating like Tabasco hot sauce. And he's sitting outside sweating like a pig. And a mosquito comes out and bites him and flies up in the air and explodes. <laughs> Anybody remember that? It stood out to me because I hate mosquitoes. And, and, and if that actually worked, I would eat hot sauce on a regular basis, sit outside around 7 o'clock at night and just watch those little suckers come down, boom, boom, boom. And I'd be like, yay. <laughs> you think that's crazy, I know. One night we uh, woke up, and we were just talking about this yesterday, my wife and I and our grandson, Zachary, who is uh, now 22, and he was a little baby. He's at our house. And we, we woke up hearing him crying, and we went into his bedroom. He wasn't even, I only think, two years old or whatever, hon. And he's got these lumps all over his arms. He's been bit by mosquitoes during the night. I don't know how they get in, but there was a herd of them there. And he's crying. He's like, ah. I think the scream's okay. I turned on the light. I got my flashlight. I killed every stinking, sucking mosquito in that room before I went back to bed. And I assured Zachary, those buggers are never going to get you the rest of this night. So, so it wasn't like, God, could you just take away the wars that are in the world or the famine over here? There wasn't anything. It was perfect. If you think you're beyond falling, then you're walking in pride. You need to walk humbly with God so when temptation comes, you cry out to God and say, I'm not buying what he's selling. I'm not buying it. I'm going to do what your word says. He bought it. And then she sold it to her husband. He bought it too. And everything changed. And it's interesting how uh, today it's so hard for us to acknowledge when we've done wrong. And it started right here in the garden. God says to Adam, hey, do you take from that tree I told you? Yeah, but my wife gave it to me. I mean, it's right here. I'm not making it up. And he comes to Eve and says, did you take? Yeah, but the servant deceived me. Everybody's passing the buck. And I bet the servant was saying, yeah, but you kicked me out of heaven. It's your fault. Everybody, you know what's really interesting was said? is when everything's going well in life, often people who don't have a relationship with God, it's all about me. Mm -hmm. I'm so smart, so strong. I got the right job, went to the right college, knew the right people. When it goes bad, God, where are you? That's even people who don't believe there is a God. But when stuff goes bad, all of a sudden, God gets cursed. He gets the blame. When it's going well, it's all about us, really. Well, that's not about stinking pride. That's what that is. And we need to say no to that and say yes to Jesus. So here we are today, probably 6,000 plus years later, according to Bible scholars, since this was recorded in Genesis. And there's nothing new. Satan is still a salesman. Okay, and in, and, and in 2 Peter 2, and for sake of time, I'm not going to read all the verses, but 2 Peter 2 talks about all these false prophets that will be among the people, just to be false prophets among you. They'll secretly induce destructive heresies even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction to themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways or bring the ways of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. And we'll drop down to verse 13. We're in 2 Peter chapter 2. They'll be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to crowds in broad daylight. Their blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They're experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. He was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey. 
a beast without speech who spoke with a man's voice, and restrained the prophet's madness. These men are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. They mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled with it and overcome, they're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to, in walling, to her walling in the mud. Now, I know I read that real fast for sake of time, but you have a Bible, you can read it again. Okay? Um, Where's the phrase buyer beware come from? So if you've ever purchased a used item or a new item, anybody here ever purchased anything? I know you have. I know you have. How many bought from Amazon Prime? You've had it shipped the next day. Okay. So if you've ever purchased an item like a used item, especially like a house, a car, power saw, glassware, supposed antiques that are really an antique but maybe be a reproduction, coins, or even new items from infomercials on Home Shopping Network, like the QVC, which stands for Quality Value Convenience. You know what that stands for? That's what it stands for. I'm like, wow, Quality Value Convenience. Or the HSN Home Shopping Network. Then you've likely heard the phrase, buyer beware. So I, I, I looked it up. Here's the definition. Caveat emptor. Excuse me, I'm not good at Latin, but that's a Latin phrase, and if you know Latin, then I might have pronounced it right or wrong. It's Latin for let the buyer beware, and it's a principle of contract law that passes responsibility for discovering defects from the seller to the buyer. In effect, it says the seller does not have responsibility to provide information or make promises on the quality of an item being sold. And they give it for instance. You buy a used lawnmower at a yard sale. The seller is not required to guarantee it will work as promised. I'm getting a little ringing up here. Um, even though it may seem, might be my hearing aid. Uh, just kidding. My wife says I need to get them. I'm like, what? What'd you say? Um, the the seller is not required to guarantee it, it will work as promised, even though it may seem to be working okay now. You buy it with no guarantee. We have a family member who years ago purchased a house. Buyer beware. They didn't have a thorough inspection done, but a pretty good inspection done. But when they got into the house, they discovered there were bats in the belfry. Old houses in Woodstown, bats love these old places they get up under the eaves. Every now and then a bat got into the house, came down out of the attic space. Buyer beware. So <clears throat> they didn't conveniently reveal that. The origins of the caveat emptor principle in law lies in a 1603 case known as Chandler versus Lupus in England. A man bought a bizarre stone for 100 pounds, which would be about $300 a day, that was supposed to have healing properties, but it didn't work. And he wanted his money back. The case went to the court. The court's decision was buyer beware. Does anybody know what a bazaar stone is? Well, I'm going to tell you what it is. This is really great. I know everybody wants one of these. <laughs> you will after I tell you. It's a hardened mass 
of chewed hair found in an animal's stomach. It hardens like a rock. They kill the animal, and in cutting up the meat and all that, they discover it. And years ago, you know how lies get passed down from generation? Someone said, that has medicinal qualities. It will keep you from dying from poison. No, you can all look this all up. I, I read all this stuff. And particularly, the porcupine was an animal they focused on that had the best of all these stones. And so it became a big thing like, kill the porcupines. Like, you know, you have things, people killing animals for their tusks and all this kind of stuff. Kill the porcupines so we get that little stone out of there. If they have one, not all of them had it. And uh, we can sell it to somebody. And then, of course, they made reproductions. You know how people are with money. Hey, this is a genuine stone, Pastor Brian. I'll give it to you. If your wife puts poison in your mashed potatoes, you can chew on this thing and you won't die. <laughs> and if you don't die, you won't come me to get your money back. And if you did, I'd say, buyer beware. Y'all with me? You need to know there's something more important than those kind of things. You might have got a bad lawnmower, might have worked for whatever. You might have bought something off the QV. Did you ever buy something off the TV when you got it? That's not what it looked like on TV. I did. Come on, raise your hand if you did. Boy, they had it all played up. They had a half an hour infomercial. You just have to have this right now. Go to the phone right now. And if you call within the next 30 minutes, we will give you an extra thing for free. And no shipping and handling. You've heard all the lines. They're salesmen. Satan is the greatest salesman of all. He's been working for thousands of years trying to get people to buy the stuff he is selling. And unfortunately, there are people that have listened to him. In John 8, 44, I wrote in that passage there in Genesis 3, next to it, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you belong to your father, the devil. He is a liar and the father of lies. Now, how do we avoid being sucked in to all the false prophets? By the way, they're not just outside the church. They're also in the church. They come in sheep's clothing. They look like a sheep. My grandma, what big teeth you have. It's that little red riding hood when she showed up at grandma's house. Yeah. Dress up in disguise. Because Satan wants to rob, kill, and destroy. Don't ever forget that. If you're contemplating the fruit on the tree that God said no to, and you're listening to Satan, guess what? There's going to be a bite that you're not going to like. Now, you guys that fish, you know what I'm talking about. When you, when you bait that hook, you want to put the bait on in such a way that the fish can't really see the hook, usually, right? And entice it with if an artificial lure, if it's a nice worm, whatever. So it thinks, yes, look at that big juicy blood worm. You're a big striper out there. You guys have caught stripers, right? I know with Pastor Brian Jeff. And it comes in, boom! And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, man, my granddaddy told me about these days. They said, don't be fooled by that worm, Willie, and there's probably a hook. And all of a sudden, he got hooked, and now the fight is on. Can he get off the hook, and you can, can you pull it in? And the fisherman's dream is always pulling in the biggest striper, and, you know, and talk about the ones that got away, how big they were. And it started out here, and our sunfish that we caught were that big. They almost broke the line. We had to throw them back in because they were really... <laughs> That little, but we had fun. Um, so Satan is out 
to rob, kill, and destroy, and he will tell you lies. How do you avoid those things? You really avoid those things by staying in God's word for yourself, studying to show yourself approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's right there in scripture, and we can't do it for you. We can help you on a Sunday. If you're just depending on the pastor on Sunday to give you all the food you need all week long, then why don't you do that with your regular food to eat? Just eat on Sunday and don't eat the rest of the week till the following Sunday. How many do that? Unless you're on a fast. Does anybody go for a whole week without eating? Anybody three days? Unless you're on a fast, two days. How many meals a day do most of you eat? Three meals. Did you ever have a midnight snack? Come on. So why do we think that what the pastor says or the Sunday school teacher or the small group says a few times a week is going to be enough for us? You need to be studying and digesting the word all week long to keep you from the false prophets because they're everywhere. And they will suck you in whether you think they can or not. The Bible talks about many in the last days being deceived. And um, some of the signs of false prophet, I'll just go through this real quickly. Just, I'm just going to mention this. False prophets may make predictions that don't come true. In fact, uh, they, they do. And uh, if I could have one of you gentlemen up here to help me, I will pass these out to you. These are a few predictions um, made by the Mormons. And there's uh, just a few of their prophecies they made. That's not all of them. Check out all the cults that are out there. Read behind the scenes what they really believe when they're telling you all the wonderful things that sound good, like, oh, we, we have great family ministries and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, I read what they think about Jesus and his divinity and who he really was and how the Book of Mormon is more important than the Bible. Just read all the different cults that you want to check out, the false prophets. However, right within the church, anyone remember the name Harold Camping? Harold Camping. Family radio, great hymns, great messages. Harold Campy, he could answer any question you had about the Bible, supposedly. He claimed the rapture would occur in September 1994. We were living in Pittsburgh at the time. After that date ended, we were still living in Pittsburgh. We still lived there another five years. It's amazing. It didn't happen. But he claimed it absolutely was going to happen. And then more recently, some of you will remember this, he stated that the rapture and judgment day would take place on May 21st, 2011. And the end of the world would take place five months later on October 21st, 2011. From 1997 through 2011, they raised more than $216 million in donations, spent over $5 million on more than 5,000 billboards proclaiming the end of the world. Buyer beware. There were people from churches across America that sent him money that knew God's word said that we should not set the date that no one knows what the date of his return is. And they sent him money. It's amazing. One man gave up his whole life savings, like 40 grand, took it out and sent it to Harold because the message had it well that this day Christ was returning. Now, we preach Christ is returning, no doubt about it. We don't know the date. That's why the Bible says you need to be ready. Are you ready? The Lord came today, would you, would you go home to heaven? What if he called you today and didn't call the whole church? Are you ready? I read stories every day. I don't care what age. There was a young couple up near a Washington's Crossing. Just last week, we had heavy storms, thunderstorms. They're driving along the car, mother, father, young couple with three children and a, and a grandmom with them. And all of a sudden, a raging 
river of water comes right down that road, sweeps her car away. The father and the oldest child survived. The young mother and the two children died, and the grandmother survived. There were a few other people that were washed away in it, too. A young couple having a good day, checking out history, and a flood came instantly in their face. They didn't drive into standing water. Are, are you all with me? So we don't know when he's going to return for the church. We know it's getting closer. We don't know when our last day will be. I am determined I'm not missing heaven for anybody or anything. How about you? You need to live ready. Have that heart of love for Jesus and like Lydia was talking about shining the light to everyone around you. They come to know Jesus. Lydia, I'm guaranteed that you're so happy that people are shining the light for you. Well, you're in that stage of being lukewarm and oh, yeah, whatever. And they shine the light of Jesus and you know you're ready. You're ready if Jesus calls you home today. But you're ready to continue to serve him until the day he calls you home. You're living ready. What a terrible way. And people say, well, well I'll, I'll just roll the dice. What a terrible way to live your life. That, well, I, I hope I make it. Well, maybe I'll make it. Well, if people pray for me and I'm dead, I'll make it. No, they won't. Oh, maybe I'll be 144,000 if you're Jehovah's Witness. I'm, no, no. Don't believe any of those lies. Read God's word and see what it says. Live ready. For such a day as you think now, the Son of Man cometh, it says in Scripture. So they make all these prophecies, and some are within the church, like Carol Camping was, not just outside Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Harry Christians, and all the rest. Um, they may perform miraculous signs and wonders. Remember when Aaron threw his rod down in front of Pharaoh and it became a snake? And so the magicians threw their rods down, and they became snakes. But we know what happened. Aaron's snake ate up all their snakes to show who was in control. But what we see in Scripture is that God has given Satan limited power. And if you're not careful, you'll get sucked into this stuff saying, wow, that man must be of God. Maybe, maybe he's the Messiah. By the way, go online and Google Messiahs and see how many Messiahs you'll come up with that are around the world who claim to be Messiah. I couldn't write them all down. It's, it's just amazing. The deception is out there. These false prophets, the next point is they may claim to be Christ. Sun, young, moon, remember him? Claimed to be a Messiah, founded Unification Church. And they're all over the place. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying I'm the Christ. And they'll see many in Matthew 24, verses 1 to 5. False prophets often live an unbiblical lifestyle. And when you read the book of Jude, that short little book of Jude, Jude has this to say, these people live... Immoral lives, they defy authority, they scoff at supernatural beings, they scoff at things they don't understand, they do whatever their instincts tell them, they deceive people for money, they care only for themselves, they bear no fruit. These people are grumblers, complainers, live only to satisfy their desires, they brag loudly about themselves, they flatter others to get what they want, creating divisions. False teachers often claim that God will not condemn anyone, but Jude says the Lord will judge ungodliness. Check it out, small little book of Jude. One of the things we have in our culture today this whole thing with gender identity. Listen, folks, it's real simple. God made them male and female. There's two genders. I don't care what you want to be. You're who you are according to what your birth certificate said. I know they're changing that now. You were born a girl, you were born a boy. And you're still that. And changing gender will not give you the happiness and satisfaction that you're looking for. Look, we all read the stories. And by the way, I thought to myself, if we had no Bible, 
And some, well, I want to hear stuff from God. Okay. I want to see two men by themselves without borrowing from the women. Or I want to see two women without borrowing anything from the men have a baby. I want to see that day. Because the day that happens, that person, that couple will be a millionaire. They'll be multimillionaires. Now, how do we handle that in our culture? We handle it by speaking truth. We love God and love people. We do it in a way that Jesus would have us do it. By the way, when you, when you check out the passage in Matthew where Jesus is telling the Pharisees exactly what they're like, and he used words that they didn't want to hear, like our father's Abraham. No, your father's not. Because your father's Abraham, you want him to be killing me. Your father's the devil. You're just like him. You're whitewashed sepulchers. We won't let him, okay? We tell them the truth and say, and God loves you and he can change you. We never say you're okay how you're living. Because if you want to go down that road, then we should say to anybody that's living a sinful lifestyle, oh, you like to rob banks? God bless you. You're fine just the way you are. Go and rob in banks. Oh, you like to abuse little children? How many watched uh, The Sound of Freedom? If you haven't seen the movie, you all go see it. I'll just, it'll do something in your heart. Oh, that's fine. God loves you. We don't say that message because that's wrong. We're becoming a salesman for Satan when we say that. We say that is not God's plan. It's real clear in Scripture. But God redeems people out of every imaginable sinful lifestyle, and he sets them free. Be careful that you're not siding and calling good evil and evil good, because the Bible warns us about that. And there's judgment for those who say, yeah, that's fine. Whatever floats your boat, that's good. No, it's not good. It's not fine. And we need to tell people, here's the Word of God. And the only way you can tell people the Word of God if you understand it and are living it yourself. Lydia, I can imagine if you weren't living for God and um, you hung out with a group of girls at one of your small groups, within a couple days later, they see you getting drunk in the barn, Glassboro. Would they think that your Christianity was real? They say, oh, you're just like, you're just like us, man. You go to church and then you party all week long. Woohoo! And everybody's going to heaven, right? That's another lie in our culture. That's some of the false prophets. That's Satan telling you, you can live any way you want. And all roads lead to heaven. That's another big lie. Now my time is way past. Uh, some of you are eating downstairs, so I don't have to worry about getting to McDonald's before anyone else. Um, Jim Jones. The news hit the papers, 1978. Jim Jones, at one time, by the way, was a Pentecostal preacher. He was in the church. And then he got away on a power trip. Of course, that power trip included immoral lifestyles. It included people, putting people under bondage, taking their money, leading over 900 people to Guyana in 1974 to establish Jonestown, pitched as a socialist paradise free from the oppression of the U.S. government, and mass murder-suicide November 18, 1978, over 900 people, 304 of them were children. And I have the paper in the file I couldn't find, it, but I found this one. Remember this one, David Koresh? Waco, Texas, he was another one, self-proclaimed Messiah who led people to believe in him. And he had many children from different women, by the way, and he controlled people. And here's what it said about him in the paper. Krish was a long-haired, rock music-loving high school dropout who happily boasted he was both the Messiah and a sinner without equal. Wait a minute. Did Jesus ever say he was a sinner? And that was equal to him being a Messiah? I I'm, I'm confused. I don't remember ever reading that. But Krish was both. He was a Messiah and a sinner just as well. He was a charismatic zealot who used a mix of scripture, 
fear, and personal persuasion to seize control of his cult and eventually lead followers to their deaths. He said he led his flock with a gun in one hand and a Bible in the other. See, these stories go on and on and on. They happened in our lifetime, not just years ago. And then anyone that was aware uh, remembers Heaven's Gate, not Heaven's Gate, Hell's Flames. That was a big drama in our churches. The name Marshall Applewhite, another American cult leader, founded Heaven Gates, organized a mass suicide March 26, 1997, told people a spaceship trailing the comet Hallie Pop, Pop, if I'm pronouncing it right, would pick them up. 39 people died. Why do we say this? Some of those people that were under the leadership, the cultness of these people, at one time sat in churches. People that are Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons one time sat in churches. They didn't read their Bible. They didn't study it. And when people came along with twisted scripture that sound good, they bought it. Be careful. I'm, I'm warning you right now. Be careful. If you're not in God's word, you're open for deception. Now, does God want anyone to be deceived and walk away? Absolutely not. He has given us his word. We don't have to get caught up in any of these things or get the phone calls. Here in the paper, it's, it's amazing. It shows, it shows the pictures. Here, here's the woman crying her eyes out when she gets the message that one of her family members was in the fire when it went up, who they tried to get out under the influence of the cultists. The one you need to follow, the true Messiah, is Jesus. He will never lead you astray. He will bring good things into your life as he has promised. He will not be a snake oil salesman that shows up in a little community with his wagon and everything he sells you is going to cure all your ills. That's a lie. After the snake oil salesman leaves, most of the people realize everything has alcohol in it. Sure, that's going to make you good for a while. Well, I'm really feeling good. Yeah, sure you are. Until the hangover's over and you're puking your guts out. Didn't take away your measles. Yeah, it's just, so we need to stay in God's word. Listen to people around you. But listen, folks. This is the inspired word of God. If you stay in God's word and you stay around godly people that understand God's word, you'll be safe from the sales pitch of the devil. He has lots of servants running around pitching products that are going to destroy you. Buyer beware. God gave us free will. When I go to a yard sale and I look at stuff there, I'm contemplating, mm, that looks good. And, uh, yeah, you want that much for it? Nobody has a gun to my head saying, Keith, you need to buy this right now. It's only five bucks. You know, that's an original. You could get this much for it. No one's saying that to me. I have a free will to determine if I'm going to buy it or walk away. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Serving Jesus is free will. God has given us free will to plug into God's word, to choose to believe God's word, and to follow it, and one day, one day, be in heaven forever. But in the process, we're shining our light for all to see. The church should not be a place of confusion. Look, we have denominations that are breaking apart over all this sexual stuff, this woke stuff in our culture. Check out some of your friends that are in the Methodist churches. It's, it's incredible what's happening. I mean, the Wesleys would just be rolling in their graves. They could do that. So within the church, there's deception. Outside the church, is deception. We are safe as we study God's word and apply it to our lives. And I'm closing. I know it's time. I'm past time. Pentecostal Evangel, years ago, put this article out right here. 
It's called uh, Male and Female. He created them, a biblical response to homosexuality. I don't have multiple copies to give you. You can go on the Assembly of God website and bring up any position paper on anything you have a question on. There's a great position paper that was written many years ago on human sexuality. It covers all of Scripture on sexuality, what God's commands are. It covers how we're to live. It covers how we're to talk to people that are away from God, that are caught up in all kinds of wrong behaviors. Are you with me? We don't say you're bad, worthless, no good, and going to hell. We say Jesus wants to change your life. He wants to bring real joy to your life. and It's not found the way you're gone. Check that stuff out. It's all biblical. It's all scriptural. How would you know what this is if you had never used it? Now, if you know what this is, don't anybody raise your hand. So I'll just hold this little tool up. It has a little spinning wheel right here. This is an old-fashioned. It's really heavy. Um, does anyone know what this is, first of all? Okay, we have one person in the back. Just keep quiet, Tim, or I'll wrap you with this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is really, this is heavy duty. This is made, you know, today. It was made years ago. Okay, so what if I told you, as I'm holding this little tool in my hand, that this tool right here, which has a lot of weight. Hold on a minute. Just tell me, does that have some weight? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he didn't have his Wheaties this morning. Does that got some weight? Does it got some weight? What do you think? So I'm not making that up. It's got some weight. Okay. What if I told you this was used to crack walnuts? We have walnut trees all over our property. If you want to come and pick them, we don't have the time to crack them and pick them. We have them. They're flourishing all over. Bam! You cracked that thing open. What if I told you that's what it was? How many would think that that's a good tool for that? Just raise your hand. You don't have to look, look silly because you don't know what it is. I'm a salesman. What if I told you it was used to adjust valves on an engine? And if you never worked on an engine, never had tools like that, you had no clue, right? What if I told you we use it to adjust valves on an engine? Any takers? People, okay, we got a few for you. Okay, that's just good. What if I told you it was to be used as a door stopper or a wedge? Just <laughs> put your door open. Okay, I, I got takers for every one of those categories. You don't know what it is because you never used it. You were never trained. You never read a manual. But what if I told you it's a grinder wheel dresser. You say, what's that? Okay, see this little wheel right here? Any of you men, women have a grinder in your workshop? It spins the wheel. You can sharpen a knife on it. You can take sharp edges off something. This is, this is why a grinder wheel, okay? This is a wheel dresser. If your grinder gets glazed on it, or it's like not flat across there because you're grinding stuff and the wheel gets messed up, this little sucker right here, you stick that thing against that with that thing spinning and it cleans off all the junk and straightens it out. It's a wheel dresser. Well, you just learned something in church about a tool. Not that you're ever going to get one, but if you have a grinder, you mean we'll go buy one of these things. Your grinder is going to get glazed on and it's going to get a little lopsided and everything like that. The only reason I know what it was, there was a tag on it when I picked it up at the thrift store <laughs> over there. I had no clue what it was. I'm in the Rancho thrift store. I'm like, I love old tools. What is this? Little sticker, wheel dresser. So I looked it up. Wheel dresser, how cool. I already used it. I have a grinder. It did what it was supposed to do, even though it's wore out. The people that use these know what they are. People that don't can be sold a story. Fire beware. When you know God's word, because you have studied it, 
and it's real to you, you're not going to be deceived by the false prophets who come peddling everything under the sun. They come to tell you lies about God. They come to take your money. They're the pigs that return to the pig pen, the dogs that return to the vomit. It's all there in 2 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Peter. And we need to be alert and alive in Jesus. For your enemy, Satan, comes as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Lord Jesus, we ask for your help. We look all around us today, and we see so many voices that cry out inside and outside the church. And there's so much confusion, especially in our country that has walked so far away from you, it seems. Thank you for the voices that stand in the pulpit and say, Thus saith the Lord. They're not caught up with all the junk around them. Neither were the true prophets in the Old Testament or New Testament period. They said, Thus saith the Lord, even when it meant their death or persecution. Thank you, Lord, for those voices. Thank you for those who in, in this church throughout the years have proclaimed over and over again, I believe in the word of God. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Father. I believe what is recorded is truth, and I'm not swerved from it to the left or the right. Thank you, Lord. May we stay strong in the Lord and the power of his might as we read your word, apply your word, and then share it to those around us. We give you praise, Lord. Amen. A little P.S. I was looking at your book table back there. Some good books. I'm going to put this back on the table, though. Original Intent by David Barton. You want to talk about stuff happening in our culture? The courts, the Constitution, and religion. If you listen to a lot of people today, they would tell you that almost all of our early founders were not believers. They were a mix of whatever. David Barton and his son, Wall Builders, started many years ago. They are absolutely, incredibly excellent with original documents. This book was on your table. I'll put it back. And in my final word, when you listen to the salesman and you don't listen to that phrase, buyer beware, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to become stupid. I'm house to say it. Sin makes you stupid. It just makes you stupid. Do you ever look at someone and say, I can't believe they're doing that. That is so dumb. Come on, tell me if you ever said that about somebody. Have you ever said it to their face? In 2 Peter chapter 2, Balaam is mentioned. Remember reading about him? Balaam, who went to prophesy against Israel, and then he, he came up with a plan of getting them to be caught up with other women from other tribes and sexual immorality to destroy them. Balaam's on his donkey. Giddy up, Charlie. Giddy up. Charlie stops. He lays down. Balaam's beating him. The donkey's talking to him. Now, what's interesting about this story, if you ever had a donkey talk to you, unless you're on a TV show, Mr. Ed, how you doing there, Wilbur? How you doing there, Mr. Ed? I'm fine. Well, Wilbur, how you having a good day, Wilbur? Wilbur. If you start talking back to the donkey, having a conversation like this is normal, you're stupid. Your brain's not in check. I mean, you're not in drive. I don't know how to say it. I read this story again. I'm like, that's what sin does. He's going after something God didn't want him to go after. And a donkey saves his life from the angel with the swords. The donkey's saying, you're beating me. Like, there's an angel standing there going to kill us, kill you. Nice to save your life. And Balaam's having this conversation with the donkey. The donkey was smarter than Balaam. I need to say to you, when you walk in the ways of sin, there's some animals that are smarter than you. I don't know how else to say it. Don't get caught up in listening to the lies of the salesman. Fire, beware. God bless you. Thanks for letting me come and share.
Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. God is good. You stand to your feet. Buyers beware. Thank you, Pastor. You made me laugh. <laughs> you know, the Bible says, study to show yourself approved, a workman needed not to be ashamed, but rightly divided in the word of truth. You want to know God's word. You have to get in the God's word. And it's so true. You know, the banks one time used to teach people all about the real money. Never talked about counterfeit money, because if they knew what the real money was, a bank teller knew what to look for, and they could identify a counterfeit because they knew the real thing. Yep. Know the real thing. Someone say, Jesus is the real thing. Jesus is the real thing. Coca-Cola got it from Jesus. That's right. Let's go before the Lord. The altars are always open for God to transform you, your heart and life. If you need to prayer, I'll be up here to pray with you. If you need and pastor as well. Let's just believe God as you go out today. I want you to go out to serve. Yeah. Go out to make a difference. Go out to tell the truth to people. Love them where they're at to bring them where they need to be. Someone say amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for who you are. Thank you for this challenge and message to truly that we need to know your word. Your word is truth. And God, I pray right now that we would discipline ourselves to spend, to meet the face of God before we meet the face of man. Every day we get up. Lord, let it be a hunger to know you, the author and the finisher of our faith. God, will we, as we continue to seek you, will you help us? Holy Spirit, have your way. Touch each one here as you, we send them out to the highways and byways. Lord, will you help them draw ever so close and work your miraculous work in each heart, in each family. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Another PPS. Lydia said this in talk, and I think, was it Riley, the person you were talking about? Was that her name? Kylie. Kylie. She said she was faithful, available, and teachable. That stands for fat. God wants fat Christians. I heard this from an evangelist many years ago. It just came back to me. You were saying, I'm like, yes, faithful, available, and teachable. Be fat in your spirit. That's what God wants. God bless you all. I love you. Well, we thank you for joining us today. Let's continue to believe that God is going to do a work in all of our lives and in His church, despite our current circumstances. If you would like to support the ministry of Salem First Assembly, you can do so by mailing to 430 Route 45, Salem, New Jersey, 08079, or by visiting our website at salemfirstag.org. Please join us for service next Sunday at 1030 a.m., or you can watch service every Sunday afternoon on Facebook at Salem First Assembly or YouTube at Salem First AG. You can also listen to the message every Tuesday on Podbean. Have a blessed rest of your day. Let's remember to be a blessing and that life is living in faith every day.